You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcasts with your host, Father Steve Madsen and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about scapegoating. We hear a reflection on the virtue of patience, and we listen to an excerpt from The Hound of Heaven, a poem by Francis Thompson, read by Sandy Walzak. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How are you, Father? I'm doing well. Uh, the bi-weekly weather report. It's uh, cold it, and raining. It, it, it's fall in Michigan. Uh, it, it's not summer in fall. Yeah. It's Someone more mentioned like to usual. me this morning, it doesn't seem like we had fall. We're just kind of, we're skipping right into winter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Honestly, whenever you hear this, when we recorded this, the leaves were still on the trees <laughs> and, and we haven't had any snowfall yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of October, it's the month of the of the Our Lady of the Rosary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's so so good to be able to to turn to her and uh, whatever the the time when I was away from the church, uh, you know, we didn't even when I was young, we didn't have a devotion to the Rosary. I went to Immaculate Heart of Mary uh, grade school mm-hmm. and to that parish, but we never prayed the Rosary. It's yeah. just so bizarre yeah. that period in the seventies. But in any case. Uh, what I know now is that Mary meets us wherever we are. If we're in moments of joy, mm-hmm. uh, great. Uh, if we're in moments now, thanks to JP two, St. John Paul II, the, uh, the luminous, the times of light and encounter, uh, those really biblical uh, mysteries that he added, not that the other ones aren't biblical, mm-hmm. but uh, they're not the traditional ones. Uh, and then uh, the sorrowful ones, and so many of us are going through moments and difficulties uh, in our lives, the, the sorrowful mysteries. I mean, just think about what's happening in, in um, at least right now. I hope that it's uh, uh, come to the place of cessation of hostilities in Israel and Gaza. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm afraid that they may be ongoing. But the, the trauma for everybody who lives there and the fear of so many... That's where Mary wants to meet us in those yeah. sorrowful mysteries. Yeah, it's easy to see things on the news with the brutality that's happening to the innocents and just become despairing of hope that, you know, either that this will come to a peaceful resolution or that uh, that the humanity over there can be lived with dignity. Well, and, and this is, uh, you know... My concern is the mutual demonization that we've seen in that conflict is similar to the mutual demonization we see between the Republicans and the Democrats. Mm-hmm. The mutual recriminations we even see within the church between those progressive, those who want to innovate, and those who want to hold on to the tradition. This sense of scapegoating and demonization, the evil one wins whenever that happens. Yeah. We, we've got to figure out a way to be salt, light, and leaven, um, which is always a source of love even if it's hard in the midst of these various trials. Yeah, the temptation to scapegoat is very strong for for us human beings. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All of the problems that we're dealing with is because of that person or that group. And if we only just fixed that group, all of our problems would go away. Um, you know, Bishop Barron often talks about, like, that's really like 
the whole mystery of the cross was Jesus kind of took on yeah, the he became the scapegoat. Of the scapegoat. He, he, he was the <clears throat> scapegoat. And, and uh, what happens is he actually gives us the best of gifts mm-hmm. so that we can all be brothers and sisters. I preached uh, after the, uh, the hostilities began. I uh, just talked about the fact that we Christians ought to be the answer to the fighting between the Jews and the Muslims, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the fact that we are the ones who say all of us are brothers and sisters. That's a Christian teaching. It isn't either a natural Jewish teaching, that sense of otherness for them. They've learned from us. Israel has learned from us, but Mm -hmm. that is a distinctively Christian teaching. Mm -hmm. We don't have to call the Gentiles goyim or the Samaritans, you know, uh, beneath contempt. Uh, So I'm I'm grateful that we can be uh, a witness, but the temptation is to rally to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. And wait a minute, I'm called to love even my enemies. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we say it's okay, whatever happens, but we need to love well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was reading in the Psalms uh, a little earlier the uh, the imprecatory Psalms, the mm-hmm. Psalms where uh, the author of the Psalm is praying curses, upon calling it. down judgment. Yeah, and uh, a commentary I was reading says the the interesting thing to note is that even in those cases, the person is not uh, taking it upon themselves to bring about those curses. Really, it's a cry for justice. But it's a leaving it up to God to to handle the justice in in, in whichever way He deems. Well, and one one commentator also said, "Just imagine those people who are crying out to God against our sins." Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the effects of our who sins. Who are you victimizing? Yeah, right, right. And and uh, that isn't to say that it's uh, we're all morally equivalent. It's not that at all. But I love that line from Solzhenitsyn, right? The line between good and evil runs through every human heart. And for us to be humble enough to acknowledge that I need, what's wrong with the world? I am. Yeah. And how do I love well? Yeah, just a sober realization of who I am and that I'm, you know, I'm just thinking in our own context of like Republicans versus Democrats or conservative versus liberal or whatever the case may be. Uh, where am I wrong? And am I willing to be shown that I need to change uh, to, to more align with the truth. And, and you know, dialogue, uh, it can be used to water down truths, but I do think that we do well. This past Sunday, I preached about uh, seven desires of every human heart. Yeah. And one of those is to be heard and to be understood. That idea of help me understand. We may not agree mm-hmm. when you explain to me why you believe this or that, but... I am so quick, we are all of us so quick to judge and to put people into boxes. And I'm not saying there aren't boxes. There are, there are categories sure. yeah. and we need to be able to understand those things. But to care enough about the other, to listen to the perspective. And uh, we, especially in this moment of swipe left, swipe right, uh, this quick, instantaneous communication, we're not as thoughtful or as prayerful or as reflective. And that circling back to the rosary, we need to, to bring all of this stuff that's stirring in our hearts, the hatred or the, the longing or the sadness before the Lord. And um, remember that we don't stay with the sorrowful mysteries. There are the glorious sure. mysteries yeah. mm-hmm. uh, hereafter. And uh, I'm so grateful that uh, we have a mother in heaven who's praying for us now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. 
all the way to the hour of our yeah, death. The beautiful thing about the rosary is really that it continues to draw us back into the gospel and make us reflect on yeah. the life of Christ. You know, uh, we already mentioned, you know, he kind of takes on the role of the scapegoater and Christ was not afraid to call a spade a spade. Uh, Absolutely. But he did not um, then uh, just cut somebody out. Like, well, you're done. Yeah, you he, he, he didn't have a false... He didn't say peace, peace, where there is no peace. Mm-hmm. He would he would speak the truth, but he would um, always lovingly, right? Mm-hmm. And if people wanted to wander away, they could, but he didn't cast them out. Sure. Yeah, I mean, sure, we, we focus a lot of times on him uh, going after the Pharisees, but he also had strong words for his own apostles. You know, he called Peter probably anything worse than he ever called the Pharisees. Satan. You know, so uh, he was willing to deal out both. <laughs> and you know, one of the things that, that I think we can get confused about, and sometimes you see it bubbling up from the discussion about the sin and unsynodality, is this idea that, that Jesus uh, had communion with all sinners. Well, not qua sinners, yeah. right? He called them beyond that. And I think we can get a false sense that that Jesus was just non-judgmental. no. He he says, "Go and sin no more." Yeah, he doesn't deny that sin is sin, and he, through his sacrifice on the cross, gives us the grace to love even our enemies. And we mm-hmm. can't do it on our own. We need his help. Yeah, yeah. It's so easy to 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 take the detail that Jesus sat and ate with sinners, to then extrapolate that to that he didn't have a problem with them. That's right. You know. Uh, Come follow me, he said, to Levi. Yeah, he told the woman caught in adultery, sin no more. Uh, His message to the Pharisees was, don't reduce them to their sin. That's right. You know, you have to help them find a way into fullness. That's right. You you lay all kinds of burdens on them, but you will not lift a hand to help them. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I do think that for us, uh, increasingly, we're, we're revisiting our our uh, core values and the vision and the mission as a part of the leadership team. And we'll be talking with the parish pastoral council about that. And one of the things we want to do is we want to be a source of light and hope and healing in the heart of the city of Lansing. Mm -hmm. This is what we want to do. And, and I think increasingly we're seeing a kind of a fractious nation and, uh, uh, we're seeing more individuals, uh, flouting the law it yeah. seems like no one is obeying the laws anymore and so we, we've got to figure out all right, how do we stand as salt light and leaven in this world to help people encounter the one who is the way the truth and the love and, yeah. and the light yeah i go back to the psalms uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite psalms is number one you know right. uh, blessed is he who follows not the way of the wicked uh and it's this reflection on uh who meditates on the law of the Lord. And it's day kind of, and night, day and night. Yeah, day and, like nonstop. And as like a 21st century American, I'm like, that sounds like the most boring thing ever to meditate on the law. But really the law, the Torah for the, the Jewish people, this was their way to freedom. This was their way to relationship. Right. It, it isn't shackling us. It's freeing us actually to be who we are. It's living in keeping with the way we were made. Yeah, God's showing them through the law how to be free, how to be in relationship with him. If you've, and it's, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's a law that directs us towards reality. It's not an arbitrary system that God sets up where, well, you have to follow all of my arbitrary laws or else you can't be my friend. It's like, this is who you are. And so these laws are helping you to become who you are so that we can be in relationship. If you want to choose death, then 
you can't be in relationship with the author of life. Yeah, and, and I, as we come toward the end of uh, the liturgical year, we call to mind uh, ultimate judgment, judgment mm-hmm. of all of uh, us when we come to the point of death, but also those who've gone before us uh, who have died and have appeared before the initial judgment. They'll, they'll with all of us, come before the, the final judgment when all of us will be there, uh, but all of us are coming to the end of our lives, even as we come to the end of this uh, liturgical year. And, you know, we're, we're as a church, we have uh, this great gift of praying, uh, honoring the saints, and then also all of those who have died coming up uh, in just a week or so. Yeah, it's the, uh, the memorial of the, uh, the, the whole month is the memorial of the dead. And uh, depending on how you look at that, that can seem really macabre and, and strange and weird that we spend so much time like meditating on the death, uh, the dead. Uh, but put in the context of, of Christian life, like St. Paul tells us, you know, if I die, it's uh, so that I can live in the Lord. So um, those that have gone before us are alive in the Lord. That's and right. uh, those in purgatory are need, are alive but need our prayers. Uh, and so this is kind of the, the I, I, I think the uh, our uh, Mexican and, and maybe other Hispanic cultures really have a beautiful way of celebrating this with uh, their Day of the Dead. And they, I, I, I think there can be beautiful, but there's... Yeah, it's, yeah. It can be I don't a little wanna, bit... Uh, I, I don't I don't know enough about. I don't want to go ahead and, and, and baptize everything, but yeah. but uh, I, what I was leading to is they have a tradition called the ofrenda, where it's a like a little I don't want to use the word shrine because that might seem like they're um, canonizing, but they set up the pictures of their loved ones in the home that have passed so that they can pray for them. Yeah, uh, and they set up flowers and candles and whatnot, and I, I think that's a beautiful tradition that uh, it allows the those that have gone before to remain part of the family's consciousness as the, as they go about. Well, their and day. one of the one of the dangers that we've had within um, Catholicism, I think, largely since Vatican II, but um, it I don't think it's a direct result of Vatican II. Just the way that we. Uh, I think we've we've become less conscious of the need to pray for our loved ones who have died, and mm-hmm. less aware of uh, that state of purgatory, which is the final purgation of the things uh, that attach us to the things of earth. And uh, so, having masses offered for our loved ones is is a vital uh, gift that we can give to them. You know, on uh, it'll be Thursday, the the second November second, we'll have three masses. Uh, Priests are invited to pray three masses. Usually it's just two masses that a priest should normally pray in a day. But on All Souls Day, there'll be three masses at uh, 8.15 a.m. at noon and then uh, 6.30 p.m. And then on Wednesday, which would be All Saints Day, we'll have masses at 8.15 noon and 6 p.m., which is our normal Wednesday evening mass time. So those will be opportunities to, to honor the saints, but then also to pray for our loved ones. And then that next Saturday, which will be, uh, let's see, let me get the date. It'll be the 4th. At 11 o'clock, we'll pray a mass for all of our loved ones who've died in the past year oh, so, great. as a parish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of just like makes me think, you know, at least, uh, yeah, when this comes out, we'll still be in the lead up to Halloween. That's right. And, you know, Halloween was set up 
as kind of the vigil of All Saints. Yeah. I mean, it was a way of celebrating. All Hallows Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was kind of this idea of you know the spooks and the you know the but those were as from at least from my understanding and my reading of the history that was uh, kind of two different things one the souls in purgatory coming out praying for you know asking for prayer uh, but also the defeat of the evil by the saints you know they won. In Christ, and so the whole night was a way of like mocking evil. Ah, you lost, you lost big. You know they're in heaven, yeah. but we've turned it into this glorifying of evil and gore. And yeah, it's amazing what you see uh, the decorations at some place. You're thinking, what is going on in the hearts of that home? Yeah, right. Ooh, and just um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, it was like maybe. Well, number one, I don't. I guess I do remember like some yard decorations and stuff, but it was like for the day. It wasn't, right. it certainly wasn't for the entire month of October. And yeah. now I'm seeing it going into even early September. That's People right. have Halloween decorations up longer than they have Christmas decorations up, which is an impressive feat. <laughs> it, it, it is indeed. You know, it, it's, uh, it's sobering. I think there's a fascination with, uh, with the satanic. And it's tied in with uh, Halloween. And uh, uh, we need to pray for our culture. Um, I think the evil one has, has reached his uh, claws, as it were, into hearts and minds. And there's, a, there's an evil fixation with it's Satan. A, it's, a, it's an obsession without, uh, it's an obsession of death without hope. You know, uh, being surrounded in the culture as we are. Uh, with this obsession with death without hope, November can look weird. Why are we spending so much time? We're supposed to be Catholics. We're supposed to be talking about God. And yet we're, uh, we're spending all this time on death. But we have, we're, we're those that have um, hope and, and death. Yeah, we grieve not like the rest who have no hope, right? We grieve. That's what Paul says in First uh, Thessalonians. We don't want you to be like the rest who grieve uh, without hope. Mm-hmm. We are those who have hope. And I, I think I think the uh, the motto uh, "Tempus fugit, memento mori." Right? Yeah. Time flies. Remember death. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, that's we're, healthy. We're all going to come yeah. to the end. And so, how will I have wanted to live? That's one of the benefits of the month of November, where in the readings, there's more and more about judgment. And what's beautiful about Matthew's cycle, which is this year, is we're going to hear the separation of the sheep and the goats. Mm-hmm. Right? There will be a separation, but it will be based on did you do. To the least of these, did you love God and your neighbor as yourself? Were you merciful in spiritual and corporal ways? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think as Christians are called to number one, Vatican one, uh, two calls a, even the laity to uh, the vocation of holiness. That's right, and to be witnesses in the world, we need to have the a proper witness of of the orientation to death. It is something that reminds me not to waste my time, but it's also something I approach in hope rather than kind of wallowing in, in, in a death with no hope. Well, and, and uh, on that point, I remember hearing an a, a audio essay on uh, the history of the dying. 
and how in times past, before we had all the medical care, uh, the dying would be uh, the ones who would call the family together. They would not be the victims. They would be the agents. So they didn't have their arm poked with this. They would call the family together and say, be good to your mother. Mm -hmm. You, You two need to reconcile that sense of dignity. And I think what can happen is, even though we've got this fixation with death, people want to live forever, right? And I think Christians ought to say, this is not heaven. Mm -hmm. There is a heaven. Not to rush to it, but not to say, do whatever you can to to give me the last three seconds of my life. And the more I talk with with men and women of faith, they have that sense of confidence that there is a heaven. And they don't presume that they're going to instantaneously go to heaven. Sure. they want but prayers it's a for promise them. that they can be confident and, uh, in. So I think for us to be witnesses of hope, I love the fact that that uh, here at Resurrection, we don't have a Halloween celebration. We have an All Saints party. Mm-hmm. So the students on the first uh, at the eight fifteen mass, we want to see them. They'll do a little parade afterward. They're going to be um, processing around as saints, mm-hmm. and it's. We are, indeed, all of us, saints in the making. And uh, I think November is a good time to, to think about uh, our own preparation for the judgment that may come, who knows, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I don't think that that, uh, that priority on All Saints Day is in any way a judgment of, of Halloween as somehow inappropriate or bad. No. It's just keeping the priority right. That's right. All Saints Day is the great day. Halloween is the preparation. Well, and, and pragmatically, I, you know, some of the the costumes that are available for oh. Halloween are not appropriate no. for school. <laughs> not not for our school anyway. Speaking of, my son uh, is very excited about dressing up as John Paul II for All Saints Day. <laughs> Excellent. Well, good, good, good for him. And some of them are rather conspicuous. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Uh, some of them I look and I'm like, wow, your mom put a lot of work into it. It's true. It's like a competition. <laughs> My parents never helped no. me with any costumes. <laughs> Here's a sheet. A, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably good for this week. Uh, any last parting thoughts? Well, uh, let's indeed uh, keep uh, the church and our world in prayer. Uh, I do think that... Uh, We've all had a hard last few years, beginning with COVID, and there seems to be a lot of uh, fraying of relationships Mm -hmm. and uh, of uh, the foundation of society. We don't have to worry about that. We just have to build relationships. So let's build relationships with those who've gone before us, but also with each other in a real face-to-face interaction. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, know that we're praying for you wherever you are, where you're listening. And uh, please pray for Rich, myself, and for the work of the Church of the Resurrection. All right, for one more week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. How many times have we been told that patience is a virtue? And yet, often, it seems like a difficult virtue to cultivate. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we explore the nature of the virtue of patience and how it can lead us to trust more in God. The Virtue of Patience 
How many times have you been complaining about having to wait in line for a doctor's appointment, a hairdressing appointment, or to board your flight, only to have someone tell you, patience is a virtue? Usually it doesn't help. In fact, it's likely to exacerbate your impatience and embellish it with rage. There are so many things in our human life that require waiting, from pregnancy to anticipating the end of the school year, from what seems like interminable winters in the Midwest to hanging around waiting for the ball to drop at New Year, and from putting up with someone else's foibles to dealing with our own exasperating weaknesses and failures. All of these and more require patience. But patience is a difficult commodity to acquire. One of the reasons for that is because most of us in our technologically advanced world and in a society where pleasures are easy to come by are used to getting what we want and getting it now. We want to be in control and we get frustrated and angry when things don't go our way. One of the things that this shows us is that often impatience is a product of pride and lack of detachment. Impatience is often based on the fact that we view ourselves as somehow important. So important that bad things shouldn't happen to us, that we shouldn't have to wait in line, or that our wants and needs shouldn't be impinged on by someone else's wants and needs. We sit in the doctor's waiting room, glancing at our watch every 30 seconds, annoyed that we are being kept waiting. Which is actually quite unreasonable, since we are in a room that is designed for that very purpose. Waiting. The clue is in the name. We sit there thinking, I've got work to do. I can't sit here all day. I've got important people depending on me. I don't have time to be sick. Yet God either ordains or allows everything that happens to us, good and bad. When we get impatience, when someone talks for longer than they should, if someone is late for a meeting with us, or if our massive tax rebate doesn't come in on time, this is all a sign that we are heavily invested in our own self-centred demands, opinions, judgments and expectations. There is no peace in our hearts because we want to be in control of our life and, quite frankly, of everyone else's life. But even if we do try to practice the virtue of patience, St Francis de Sales points out that it's not uncommon for us to be selectively patient, patient with the things that we think it reasonable to be patient with or that we have sympathy for, but impatient with the rest, or patient with people we like, while we throw those we don't like under the bus. What God wants is for us to surrender control completely to him and hold our own desires and ambitions lightly. St Francis points out that selective patience is often rooted in a sort of disguised self-seeking. Here's what he says. Some men wish to suffer no tribulation except those connected with honour. For example, or to be wounded or made prisoner of war, persecuted for religion or impoverished by some lawsuit they win. Such people do not love tribulation, but the honour that goes with it. The truly patient man and true servant of God bears up equally under tribulation accompanied by ignominy and those that bring honour. Similarly, we might not mind that much 
being attacked or criticised by someone whom we don't respect or who is not deemed to be in the in crowd. What really hits home is when we are criticised by somebody whom we respect or admire or someone who is well regarded by others. We might not mind too much suffering from what you might call a noble illness, but we hate it when we suffer from something that's embarrassing. We might be tolerant if someone interrupts us when we are engaged in some tedious or monotonous task. We struggle not to blow a fuse when someone interrupts us when we are doing something we consider of the utmost importance. All these scenarios, the times when our patience is tried, provide opportunities for us to examine our attitudes to other people, to our work and recreation, and even to ourselves. But they are also a good gauge about how invested we are in our own pursuits, whether we are proud and how far we have surrendered to the Lord in our lives. When we surrender ourselves, our work, our entertainments, our ambitions, our health, our finances, and our relationships to the Lord, in return, he gives us a sense of freedom. It's truly liberating when we are not obsessed with the high opinion we have of ourselves. And when we detach ourselves from the opinions that others have of us, and refuse to invest our self-worth in what we do, our achievements and how wise, influential or wealthy we are, then we become truly free to progress in the spiritual life. Many of the saints stress the importance of humility as a key to moving forward in the life of the Spirit. In reality, everything we have and are we owe to God. Even the talents and gifts that we have which allow us to succeed in life, come from him. And ultimately, we can't save ourselves. No matter how well-connected we are, no matter how intelligent, virtuous or altruistic we are, that still doesn't get us into heaven on its own. Whether we have access to our final destination in paradise depends on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. We owe everything to him. So when we are faced with something that requires patience, it's a good idea to remind ourselves that not only are we loved by God, but so are the very people who are driving us nuts. And it's also worth remembering that everything that happens to us, or that we're waiting to happen to us, one way or another, comes from God. There is a reason why we have to wait in line, put up with annoying behaviour, or don't achieve the things we want in life. Often that reason is to help us grow in humility, detachment and patience. God has his own purposes. Sometimes what seem like frustrating circumstances are actually blessings in disguise. Perhaps the reason why you were delayed in leaving home for an important meeting was because if you had been on time, you would have ended up in a car crash. And sometimes we can't see what the true purpose of frustrating circumstances is until much later, or even not at all. God wants us to trust that everything that happens to us has been allowed by him for a reason. Many times, God uses these events to help us to grow in virtue. St. Catherine of Siena says this, You test the virtue of patience in yourself when your neighbour insults you. Your humility is tested by the proud, your faith by the unfaithful your hope by the person who has no hope. 
Your justice is tried by the unjust, your compassion by the cruel, and your gentleness and kindness by the wrathful. Your neighbours are the channel through which all your virtues are tested and come to birth, just as the evil give birth to all their vices through their neighbours. And to a large extent, this is what it means to love your neighbour and love your enemies, because often they are vehicles of God's care for us, even when they threaten to drive us crazy. So the next time our patience is tried by the ups and downs of life, it can be profitable to ask yourself the question, is my irritation and frustration due to my pride and lack of trust in God's providential care? Let's pray and ask God to give us the virtue of patience. Heavenly Father, my life is in your hands. All that happens to me is in your power. Help me to recognise your providence in all the circumstances of my life and respond with a willing heart and with humility to each event so that I may experience the freedom of surrendering my life completely to you. Amen. We finish this episode with an excerpt from The Hound of Heaven, a poem by Francis Thompson, read by Sandy Walzak. Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson was a 19th century English poet and Catholic mystic. At the behest of his father, a doctor, he entered medical school at the age of 18, but at 26, left to pursue his talent as a writer and poet. He spent three years on the streets of London supporting himself with menial labor, becoming addicted to opium, which he took to relieve a nervous problem. In 1888, a married couple who were publishers read his poetry and took him into their home for a time. They were to publish his first book entitled Poems in 1893. His health was always fragile and continued to deteriorate. He died of tuberculosis in 1907, by which time he had published three books of poetry, along with other works and essays. G.K. Chesterton said shortly after Thompson's death that with Francis Thompson, we lost the greatest poetic energy since Browning. Among Thompson's devotees was the young J.R.R. Tolkien, who purchased a volume of Thompson's works in 1913 or 14, and later said it was an important influence on his own writing. Thompson's most famous poem, The Hound of Heaven, describes God's pursuit of the human person. The following extract from the beginning of that poem gives a powerful description of the poet's flight from God and how God follows after him relentlessly to woo him, entice him, and conquer him with love. How many times have we fled from the arms of God's love? How many times have we sought distraction and comfort in worldly pursuits? The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter, up visted hopes I sped. And shot precipitated 
adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. I pleaded outlaw-wise by many a hearted casement, curtained rud, trellised with intertwining charities. For though I knew his love who followed, yet was I sore adread, lest having him I must have naught beside. But if one little casement parted wide, the gust of his approach would clash it too. Fear wist not to evade, as love wist to pursue. Across the margin of the world I fled, and troubled the gold gateway of the stars, smiting for shelter on their clanging bars, fretted to dulcet jars, and silvern chatter the pale ports o' the moon. I said to dawn, be sudden, to eve, be soon. With thy young skyey blossom, heat me over from this tremendous lover. Float thy vague veil about me, lest he see. I tempted all his servitors, but to find my own betrayal in their constancy, in faith to him, their fickleness to me, their traitorous trueness and their loyal deceit, to all swift things, for swiftness did I sue, clung to the whistling mane of every wind, but whether they swept smoothly fleet, the long savannas of the blue, or whether thunder-driven, they clanged his chariot thwart a heaven, plashy with flying lightnings round, the spurn o' oh, their feet. Fear was not to evade, as love wist to pursue. Still, with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, came on the following feet, and a voice above their beat, not shelters thee who wilt not shelter me. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.